You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. You know, Ir, I always say Ir HaKodesh, and by Chesidah and by many, I think, in the literature world as well, when we speak about what is going to uh, befall us in our calendar on Wednesday night, we call it Yom HaKodesh, the uh, Yom Kippur. You know, it's you are in a holy place, and we are getting ready for a holy day. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that many of us, when we get ready for our Yom Kippur, our holy day, and you know, if we have we're wearing a kit or not, and we're getting ready, and we we go up to the bookshelf and we say, "Okay, where's my machzer?" And if you if you don't read well the side of the machzer, you know what your Yom Kippur machzer is because it's the thickest one, right? It's the biggest one. It's the one that has the most pages in it. Um, and um, there's a lot of material. Uh, obviously, this is a byproduct of hundreds and hundreds of years of development. But if we talk about, Sam, the world that you and I share, the Ashkenazi world, the world of the, the, the Machser Ashkenazis of, 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 and even the Sephardim is very big, there's a lot of verbiage, a lot of words, a lot of piyutim, a lot of slichos. And I think that for many of us who, who come into the shul, one of the issues that we have is uh, we're overwhelmed by the material. Even if we have an English machzer, a machzer that gives us English translation, or uh, I think they call it, um, you know, the, what's the, the type of translation that it's right underneath the words, um, and you're able to, to just immediately understand it. There is a problem with being exposed to information and ideas that you weren't ready for, that you're not familiar with, that you're not necessarily part of. And I think that uh, let's say the chazonim and the choir and the people that are who have developed a method, other than them, I think there's a lot of uh, people spacing out. I think there's people who are not able to concentrate on the quote-unquote material that's in front of them. Um, and I think that you could help explain through brain science and through your observations of what you think is, is correct, how one can get his concentration level where it should be. Where it isn't just you know I'm you know I, I'm just saying these words but my my brain is someplace else. Obviously, you could always think back, Shmuel, on, on 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 what's negative in your life and how you want your life to change. But it's not exactly what it is that are in the book and the words in front of you. So um, uh, why don't you respond? I'm personally very familiar with getting distracted during davening. I would say that it's rare that I ever done, um, let's say, on the service in Mechuba and don't forget at least one of the additives in, 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 in Davani, even though I say I'm concentrating, I'm wearing a talus. Sometimes I even wear a talus with my Torah that I got from my father. So, you know, ah, it doesn't happen. Even on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, on Mohakadish, I forget it. Okay? So I'm very well aware that if we get into a routine and just something takes over and we're just not there. So, I have like about five or six points to say about this that are all over the place, and I'm going to rely on you as the moderator here to kind of um, keep me to the point instead of just making so many weak points that it gets lost. So 
just in Pashtas, okay? Talking from the ADD or ADHD field, boredom is very common. Boredom with an activity that you're used to is very common. And um, the usual explanation is that it becomes automatic and you don't pay any attention to it. And therefore, it's not stimulating anymore and you get bored. That's the usual explanation. Um, so that clearly can kick in by davening, especially because one reason we're not bored with certain activities is because we're multitasking and there's a lot of other things going on. So most of us who are listening to this podcast are also at the same time answering their email. They're also having coffee. Maybe they're playing with their dogs, a lot of stuff going on. And that keeps you occupied enough so that you can um, devote part of your attention to what's important. It's not to say, so let's say even people who are davening, sometimes they're patching around with change in their pocket. They're straightening out their tefillin, their um, uh, whatever, patching around. And that's really of help. Most people who are not ADD don't understand that, but it's true for everybody that being able to come up with just the right amount of attention to an activity is important in both ends. It can't be too much attention because then you freak out and you can't cope with it. It can't be too little attention because you get distracted. So, so, so explain to me, in other words, what I'm hearing from you is that even though there's this, there are these words and ideas that you're meant to concentrate on and take into your kishkas, as it were, a person who has attention issues needs to sort of like um, uh, narrow uh, and sort of build a little tunnel, a little uh, protective tunnel where those ideas can now be part of. And on the outside of the tunnel is it, the way you build a tunnel is by actually doing other stuff. Right. By right. actually, by, by actually, like you say, patching with one thing, uh, having right. something here, and and and, and amazingly playing, playing with playing with a spinner, scratching at a scab. You see, right. but I want to qualify what you said. Everybody has attention issues. This is the nature of what attention is like. It has to be in the context of other things going on. It's the ratio of how much external stuff has to be going on versus how much internal stuff has to be going on that determines your particular formula for how you can concentrate. There are some children, let's say, who really have sensory issues who, to concentrate, to do a math problem, have to be hurting themselves badly rocking and ripping at themselves sometimes and very i mean we medicate that very strongly there's a whole issue there and then there are some people for instance that even any uh, any slight disturbance that's beyond a certain threshold becomes disturbing the light the sound a dripping the dr some dripping water that will finish their concentration they cannot do their homework with dripping water and there are some that need it so again it's the ratio and i think it's a continuum for everybody so what i want to say is that the particular uh, let's say shul situation can serve as an enhancer or a distractor for our attention from both directions so for instance for some the idea that there's a choir there's a chasm who's singing melodious stuff or annoying stuff. The fact that the rabbi keeps shushing people, whatever is going on, that can be help and that can also hurt. So for some people, they find just, I, for instance, find just the right ambience in the great synagogue where there's a booming choir of, I don't know, 28 people who are singing. And there's a chazan. And of course, there's the ushers. Keep quiet. Don't keep quiet. Stay in your seat. That is fine for me. And I can go through for hours without leaving a Shabbat. There are places that I've done that 
After 10 minutes, I just have to go out. I mean, I don't smoke, but I have to go out. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to take a drink. I have to check on how my kids are doing. I have to check if my wife has a good seat. I have to do it. And there I can sit properly. It, for some people, it's the other way around. I can't sit with all these people, 3,000 people around me, and everybody's making making noise in their davening. So it's a ratio. So again, what I'm saying is that we all follow in the continuum, shall we say, of optimal stimulation ratios. For some people, you need that. Uh, and again, you speak about clinical populations. There are some kids that we set up situations where there are constant lights going on and constant noise. I remember having a child of that type who I did therapy with as an intern. And I was only able to do my therapy with him in the playground as I was pushing him so hard on the swing that he almost used to topple over. And we used to get to that point, we would discuss things and he would say things that I never even knew that he experienced, okay? And there's some kids, I put you on the swing and try to talk about ptosis with you, it won't work. Oh, <laughs> Let's sit down and do this. So I think that's just the basic issue without any psychology, so to speak, just which shall we say, perceptual or attentional psychology. So, That's so what, a unit I hope that makes sense. And I'm no, happy it makes to sense, and, but I think it, it, it magnifies the Yom Kippur issue because Yom Kippur is so different and so unusual. It's so long and you yes. don't have your cell phone and you don't have the other things that are pushing around. So in many ways, if you if there is someone who is able to get through with a modicum of concentration right. on a normal day, He's going to be flabbergasted on Yom Kippur. It's, it's just going to be overwhelming because he doesn't or, have... Or, he they'll doesn't... Be, or, or they'll be enthused with Rabbi Sachs's commentary or Rabbi Riskin's commentary or Rabbi Salvage's commentary. That can keep me busy for hours. So again, there's a ratio, but just realize, yes, it has different trappings. It's different than regular shul, but you can have this conversation even about regular shul. I mean, Shabbos, the, the, the services, two hours, two and a half hours. And I've sat through lectures that are much much longer than that and here i can't do it so why it's my particular ratio so if that's a unit let me just touch it and a couple of issues okay um there are especially on, on yom kippur and on rosh hashanah too there are themes there that are novel themes that most of us like sweep away under the rug during the year let's even talk about mortality you know we're all dying right When's the last time most people thought about their old dying? No, they thought more about what they're having for lunch and when they're going golfing and about the last fight they had with their brother. But the fact that you're facing death on every other page in the services, that's bound to be something that um, can be, uh, shall we say, threatening. Okay? Most of the time we deal with threatening issues. Most of us don't think of mortality. We don't think of the fact that at any moment we can get a heart attack, right? Um, or on, on a softer basis, something horrible can happen to a family member. My husband can leave me. My kid can decide that they are, want to go out with a shiksa. I, a lot of things can happen. We put that by the wayside, even though the dangers are there. And here, you're forced to face those things, okay? One way to deal with that is to try to escape. And very often, boredom is not a real feeling. It's something that's saying, I want out of here but I'm not going to admit to myself or to anybody what's going on. So I'm just bored. Oh, come on. I know these services. You said them so many times. The chasm is boring. He's off key of the rabbi speech. Go on with that. So this could be an entire psychological issue that is not boredom as such, but avoidance. And I'm talking not necessarily conscious avoidance, something in back of us that says, let's just get out of here. Or you suddenly have a stomach ache. 
you know, our body knows how to do that. You suddenly have to go to the bathroom. You suddenly remember that you're not really sure whether the, the, key, the door is locked. Any kind of disturbances which really come from psychodynamic reasons. So that's an, uh, another, uh, another thing. I want to just... When do you run to, to check your keys, right? When do you run to make sure you've got your wallet in your pocket or, or things are there? When you're not in love with what you're doing, obviously. Not, not while you're on a hot date. When right. you're on a hot date, that's not what you do. <laughs> that's Even right. if you think your motor may be running outside, cool. That's so right. You because you you know how to you know how to uh, put the hierarchy of what's important to you. And hey, shut the phone, right? This is what I don't care. This is so very important. And so let when, me say, even having to go to the bathroom when some, I, you, you when you're at the specific hole on the golf course, you don't have to go to the bathroom all of a sudden because you gotta get it just right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, okay. Let me touch on a couple of other things. Um, most of us don't have a really nicely developed algorithm about our faith, okay? It's their sort of, for some of us, it's mulamada, for some of us, I kind of believe, most of us don't have time even to think too much or to philosophize about our ideas of faith because we're too busy. We're busy eating, we're busy making a living, we're busy making sure we have a relationship with our loved ones, et cetera, et cetera. So you think about that occasionally, right? Um, here is a time on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, you talk to God a lot. And you say to yourself, what am I doing? Who am I talking to? And then, I'm sorry to say this, how much do I really believe this? Okay, some of us are very observant in terms of religiosity. And I would not call them having, um, shall we say, well-developed or even pronounced faith. Now, as they do it because they do it, they don't want to think about it. There's the, uh, many have the Cartesian escape saying, look, I don't know, I can't think, I'm not a philosopher, but it's not worth taking the chance, right? What if God is there? And then, but when you talk to God, you know, you make a quick bracha or an asha yotzar, and then you're off to your eating, you wash your hands, and then you eat your steak, it's fine. But when you say, okay, let me have a long conversation with God, let me really talk to you about these feelings and whatever, there could sometimes be in back of your mind some issues saying, I don't know about this, come on. It's like you're in, in, in let's say, in gestalt therapy, right? You have to talk to someone who is not really there. And after a while, you say, excuse me, doc, guy's not really there. I already said this. Let me get out of here. This feels like a farce. All right. And some of that feeling is there. And again, I'm talking for myself. Sometimes I say to myself, Sam, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Okay. You think God is there listening to you? You really think so? Say, oh, yeah, sure. Depends what mood I'm in, what I ate, how, how far it is into the past. But that is an issue for me. Okay. And I'm sure it's an issue for somebody else also. Um, I want to just tell you that issues come up around, let's say, mortality and around questionable commitments to certain beliefs that usually are dormant and that are not allowed to be expressed by the ego because of repression. But this is something like too much. I mean, you find people, let's say, who can resist um, uh, um, stuffing their faces with food that's harmful for them if they just can walk away, right? But when you're forced to sit in the back room of a bakery for six hours or seven hours, it hits you in the face and say, okay, so what is my whole issue around this? And here too, you are forced to think, to approach God, mortality, your belief in these issues without any recourse, except of course, bolting which is called I'm bored and I have to go or I have to check on my kids or I have to stand again. But other than that, this is kind of a very high pressure situation
for your psyche, for your ego, that strips away at the defenses. I can give you the boldest example would be that if you're in solitary confinement, many issues that you've had will come to the fore that you didn't even know were there because there's nothing. There's no light. And sometimes there's no light. There's no noise. There's nothing. All that's left is you and your guts and maybe God with you. And things don't pan out that way. If you're locked up with your wife for two years, okay, on an island, I don't give you a penny for the uh, longevity of that marriage because you're going to face all the issues which usually you brush to the side and you don't even notice. So here, you're locked in with God. You're locked in with mortality for X number of hours. I'm not going to say I'm not going to give you a penny for that because there's many ways to distract yourself which you can't do if you're marooned on an island. But hey, this is going to shake up things. This is like going to psychoanalysis. Don't expect to come out of psychoanalysis having the same relationships that you had before that. Don't expect to go through a Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah if you really take it seriously, being the same kind of person. That is a very threatening situation. So therefore, we have running out, running away from the coop, which some of us simplistically call boredom. So I've given you like the... Uh, and, and this is obviously in a way... Um an extension of the fact that there is a God that you need to speak about and talk about your mortality is what Yom Kippur does, which Rosh Hashanah does not, um, which is force one to think about all the bad things they've done and to admit to them, to to use the Alchet or the Ashamnu that precedes it. If one takes out the vidui of the chida or other in the Sephardi machzor, you have actually a, a, a complete alphabetical litany of every possible sin you can do, which forces you, and you could see uh, there are many people that might even enjoy it, <laughs> to actually go through and, and, and recall what you've done and to, and to dwell in some ways to sort of wallow <laughs> or yeah, to be... I just need you to add one word, guilt. Besides the, the guilt is there. Guilt is one of the most horrible um, feelings one can have. And, and, um, and, and yet Yom Kippur demands that. Yom yes. Kippur demands yes. an admission of guilt and not only the guilt, but to, to flesh it out in the largest way possible. Um, and to and to move and you should be moved to tears. You should be broken up by this self-examination. And, sure. and, 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 and let me is... just say that as, if I did this as a patient with a psychoanalyst, as a psychoanalyst, I would want these kinds of confrontation to happen after at least two years of work. Okay, then the person can face it. Not after twenty minutes of davening and you start boom. Wow, you know, you know, of course you can say it's cumulative through the years and hopefully what we do is we acquire a module after a while that we can just get into it. It's like going back to therapy after you've been in it for many years, but just, just the mere trappings of it, being hit with that kind of profound guilt for your inadequacies can freak you out. Sure, sure, that's, that's a very valid point. And and, and I guess the, you know, as you say, you could, you could lose your concentration or decide to just run through it. Um, uh, two little points before we move on. Uh, and, 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 and one of them is um, an old one. 
you know, there's a tune that goes to to our uh, uh, recitation of sins. Many of our listeners are familiar with it, right? Now, it's not exactly John Philip Sousa marching song, but it definitely has an uplift to it. Especially if you're from the Edah Haredit. You actually sing when you're saying Ajamdu, right? Right? You're actually singing, right? And even though it's not a dirge, it's not exactly a toe tapper, but it's not a dirge. There's a there's a sense of there's a tune and a song. And I think that's that's quite interesting that that has been matched with, you know, we are desolate, we have stolen, we have betrayed. Um, there is this idea that we can sort of like uh, not be uh like shattered by the guilt to the point that we are um, uh, destroyed as a human, but we actually own up to it, and yet we're singing at the same time. And I think that is something that is that is fascinating. The other thing is something that you can see in the Hasidish Svarim, uh, especially from from Kotsk and and Pashischa, is that when you, what they were afraid of is someone incredibly becoming so self-absorbed with their recitation of sin, that they are um, in many ways caught up in themselves and, and they would warn their Hasidim and others, you think you're a tzaddik when, you, when, you, when you're thinking about your Averis? Who do you think you are? You're not even significant. Basically, this is an ego trip for you. Because even though in your own mind, you're, you're imagining how terrible what you did was, it's still a world that you think you control and you run. And, and the Chassidim from Pashischa and others would push people away from dwelling in that. And they would tell people... Well, that was the idea of Enger, the fast davening. Cut it out. Right. Because what you're doing, which is all from the same school, Pashischa, Kotzger. Sure, you, sure. It's, it's basically the idea that when, against the, the, I guess, the, the Musser conception, which is, you know, you, you are more selfish now than you were before you think you're being completely selfless by by by, by admitting you're basically just, just 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 drenched in yourself and only thinking about yourself uh and that's why just like the singing they would push people to to actually run through the vidui counter to what was in this what's in the master like, and i want to just give you i want to give you a parallel there are some psychoanalysts to do like heavy five day a week who are quite wary of the patient who comes in for narcissistic reasons basically because they enjoy dwelling on their so-called inadequacies because that's them rather than being interested in any change at all they're happy enough going through every day hazarding over and repeating all their inadequacies and that's them and then they have like a masochistic uh, pleasure out of who they are Right. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, I heard this from, uh, I wouldn't call him my Rebbe, but I, he was one of the figures that impressed me so incredibly for his authenticity. Uh, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I learned in the mirror and um, I spent uh, many Shabbos. So Rav Chaim used to say, um, don't start thinking you can do tshuva on Bittal Torah. Don't think that you can start repenting the fact that you were not involved in study of Torah as much. Don't even try that. That is an exercise in futility. Just start learning. You know, say, just say, look, I'm going to try to learn better. The, the amount of regret that you put into is really, in a way, 
a psychological impediment to any sort of change in that area. Other areas, maybe it's different. But when you're talking about you know, deciding that you are going to be more studious, more involved, dwelling on that past, Rav Chaim said, is really in a way, uh, we would call it atzat ha-yetzer, atzat So I think the three things that I've mentioned here, I think line up, you would say, right, Sam? Very, mm-hmm. very positively in terms of, of, of psychology as well, correct? Yeah. I wouldn't give them as prime examples, but I think, yes, they do fit into the categories, sure. Yeah, I'm saying, so, it's, so I think the, the, our, our teachers in, throughout the generations, whether it's the Kotzker or of Chaim Shmulevitz or the old Germans who came up with that tune, understood, I think, innately what you have spelled out for us, that okay. we, 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 we can't demand uh, this self-involvement in that way. So I just wanted to add, and this is something that I tell patients all the time, um, that to concentrate during, let's say, a regular shmonestre, a regular supplication mm-hmm. to God, and the the issue is, is that you know all sorts of thoughts and ideas, you know, start uh, coming into your mind. I even think, and again, a little philological explanation, even the word hirhur is sort of connected to the word maher. Quickly, there's things that are. Boom, 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 boom. It's like a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought. Like all these things are like rushing into your head. So obviously you have to come up with a method perhaps of how to to, to think clearly about something and how to direct your ideas, your avoda in your heart. So Rav Gershon Kittaver talked about a, a, a person, two types of people. One sort of person basically um, just went allowed the hirhurim the the thoughts to sort of gather in his brain and 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 stood there and his davening his monastery took 10 minutes 15 minutes but when he was honest with himself he realized he hardly was thinking about the words at all like his his brain was going everywhere the other one just ran through it as quick as possible and incredibly the person who had daven quicker was 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 uh, approached by the one his neighbor who had spent all that time and said, you know, look, you you daven so fast. He said, and what about you? I says, aren't you having, aren't your thoughts all over the place? He says, yeah, but 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 I didn't just run through the words like you did. So the neighbor said to him, let me again a story within a story. <laughs> he says, let me give you a marshal. He says, you have two people. He says, there, there's a a field that is overrun by thugs and hooligans. And anybody who passes through there basically gets beaten up and gets their money taken away from them. And, and then they're finished. Uh, but you have to go through there because that's the only path into the town. So you had one guy who basically learned how to run. He learned how to run and scamper. And as quick as he could, he made it through that field. And most of the time, he wasn't caught. Sometimes they caught him, but most of the time he was able to get through. Yet another guy who came up with another idea, he got drunk. So basically he drank himself in, into inebriation and then waddled into the field and then was beaten up, taken all his money away. He rolled around, but when he woke up, he had no memory of it. So when he woke up from getting from, from his being drunk like that, people asked him, he said, well, why, you know, it was okay. I was all right with it. And he doesn't realize that he has wounds all over his body and he has no money left. He said, that's you. 
you basically are allowing yourself to to get drunk. True, you don't recognize what's going on. You're just like spacing out. But don't you realize the damage? And again, this is I know a part that you you wouldn't agree with, Sam. The the damage to your soul, the fact that the look look at all those thoughts that came into you. At least what I did was I just ran through just like the other guy. So again, that's what Vigarshan Kitavit sold. That was his marshal. I think about it all the time. Maybe what people need to do, and may, I'll ask you, is if they realize that they have issues that, that, that show up in their lack of concentration, they shouldn't even try. They should just, like you say, have a little book by Jonathan Sachs ready on the side, have some other thing, and then basically just, you just say the words as quick as possible. Whatever goes in, goes in. Do you think that do you think Gershon Kitver, Gershon Kitver's Eitzah is the best thing for the, such people? Okay, I'm not starting up with the Vashemtov's family, that's for sure. But I can just I'll tell you what, what my idea is, okay? I find for myself personally that it's much more useful for me to recite or concentrate on one or two paragraphs, preferably not in a language that I know well. So I know um uh, English is my third language that I know. My, I'm not com- that, as confident that as in others. So in other words, I'd rather read the English and preferably with translation of a master I don't know. Like I was delighted when I saw Koran. Different spin, but that meant some news to me and allowed me to concentrate rather than say things. I have to say in terms of davening, I have found myself sometimes on Yom Naraim being in the middle or towards the end of the Shemineshra with no memory, like the drunk guy, no memory of how I got there. I remember sometimes when I first moved to New York, um, I used to then. So the same here, maybe concentrate on something just a little, but zooming by saying the words, I, again, I am not a major halachist, okay? But I don't think there's a merit for just saying the words in terms of your emotional growth. I think the idea is to go through some ideas, to think some ideas. And even in Ashamnu, if you can concentrate on the first four rather than say them all and concentrate on nothing, I don't know. Now, is this a logically sound? I don't know. I'm not, you'll know if this makes sense. But I, I, maybe it doesn't make sense for Kriya Chema, which is a Chiv, or maybe if I'm out, it's from the show, because you have to say the actual bracha. But I don't think that um, it makes sense as an avoda shabalev or a psychology or any kind of growth to say words. I mean, I'm going to say like abracadabra, blah, 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 and words that if I don't concentrate, I certainly don't even know what they mean. Now, look, let's go back to Gershon Gershon Kittiver. You know that it's, we have some that are about stealing things that you spoke stupid, idiotic, cruel things, the Barnu Dofi, right? You were crooked, right? Hevinu, Hirshanu, we just we just dwelled in evil and made other people evil around us. Then when we come to the 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 tenth one, represented by the letter Yud, it's Yaatsnura. We gave people wrong, bad advice. <laughs> Yaatsnura. Um Right? which is followed again by Kizavnu, by being duplicitous and being a, a, a liar uh, and being a cynic. I hope, I hope you're not saying to me that I've been giving bad advice. Uh, so this is where I, no, but this is sort of your okay. bread and butter. And I have to say, again, I'm not in the same league, but I, I think this is a, a fascinating thing to think about, about Yoatz Nura in a way that the others, you know, the others are so malicious and this is about, hmm, 
when you gave advice to somebody, you know, uh, do you think it was the best thing? Like if someone came and asked you something, how much thought did you give it? How much did you actually respond? Um, do you think it was the right thing for that person? I, I think that's that that's something which I think is interesting to dwell on, especially once you get older and your children and grandchildren come to you or just friends. You know, it isn't just which which is the best Macolette to go to or where am I going to get the best Lulu of an Esrig deal? And that's also perhaps something. But sometimes people come to you and they really, you know, are asking, you know, what they should do. And I, I think this is something which um, is, 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 is an aspect which isn't so self-involved, is it? You know, uh, it's it, it's like you know you, you... had sometimes let's say a real tricky decisions I had to do with patients, life and death stuff, and of course um I know some of my colleagues whoa they wouldn't sleep the night before and they would read up and constantly think of eventualities. My idea was I eat a normal breakfast, I sleep normally, I watch my TV show, I read the funnies, and then I go there and I think I do a better job in Benjamin. Because the point is that essentially I'm trained, I'm, I'm professional first, I'm trained, I think I have pretty good judgment worked out professionally, and then it's my duty to the patient to use my judgment, not double and triple think myself, because I'll get nowhere. I mean, this is precisely, well, let's say, why I would not take a patient who's a close family member, because you get all distracted. I owe it to be calm, cool, and collected, and give that idea. So what you're basically doing, in a sense, at least the way I'm perceiving it is turning up the heat on me, saying, hey, you're not just dealing with where you're going. You're dealing with people's lives, with people's commitment to God, with people's souls. And it's not something you just want to decide based on this is how I see it. And I say precisely the opposite. Because it's so serious, I owe them rest. I owe them to be balanced, not to be keyed up. You know, I know what I'm doing. It's fine. Calm down, calm down. I'll get it done. And I am also calm because being keyed up all it does is warps my judgment. So do I feel guilty for the advice I've given to people? No. Have I been wrong? Yes. But I think I've been less wrong than others who take themselves in a keyed up, serious state. So I, 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 I essentially am fencing with you, but at a very subtle level. No, so no, no. I understand. Something is important and so crucial to somebody's emotional life doesn't mean that I have to then suspend my good, and I think it's good judgment. As well, look, I've been psychoanalyzed for this very reason to make sure that my craziness doesn't interfere with it. But insofar as I've done that, I'm fine. The analogy, even though it's a, a, like a banal analogy, is there Moshe Feinstein who deals with this issue, how can you do sucking on major issues, like your life and death and also Erva, real profound issues based, you feel this way, you feel that way, how dare you? And the answer was, that's me. I've been trained, I did my learning, I tried my best to not to let my personal inclinations interfere, and that's what you're going to get, and that's what you're supposed to get. I'm not Ramosha Feinstein, but I'd say in my field, I'm probably as professionally developed as he, he was in, 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 no, in theology and learning. So look, I'm, I'm not fence. I actually agree with you. I think that, that I think though it is, again, and I'm not trying to get you to be guilty. What I'm saying is that when we do our vidui, when we do our confession, that sometimes maybe we were, based on what you're saying, too too intense. Maybe we, we let too much of ourselves in. Maybe we weren't professional in, enough in how we gave advice and told people. Um, or sometimes 
we weren't listening enough to the other person to actually, we just wanted the, the person to get out of our face and say, yeah, go ahead and do it this way. You know, all right, that's okay. Um, and, and I think that's all included in, in, in our, our personal interactions, which therefore I, I'm just bringing it up for our listeners as well. I think that's a good place not to get obsessed and not to uh, dwell within yourself, but to also think about, um, you know, all of us being uh, founts of wisdom and support for the people around us. And I think that's a, uh, you know, I know I turn to you as my Baal Eitzah. And, <laughs> and, and, and in that way, we hope that all of us uh, who are listening here realize that you are being Miyayat's us in so many ways. And never, I know, uh, consciously in any way that's right. right at all. It's good you say that, consciously, sure. Right. <laughs> So on that note, we will again wish everyone a, uh, as we say, a gemarch dimetava and all uh, a yom kippur. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 